internet. Would that it were so simple. No, 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 Matthew. Say it like me. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were Would so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. No, 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 no. Trippingly, trippingly. Tri- Would that it were so simple. Don't say trippingly. Would that it were. This is the only podcast about Hail Caesar. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I'm Shahir Dowd in a distinctly English accent. Yes, of course. And with us, as sometimes, is my lovely girlfriend, Robin Foster. Hi, thank you very much. Hey, Robin. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Dragging you out on Valentine's Day. What are we, Matt Kroll? I'm Could just you be charmer. more romantic? I am just Wouldn't a spend charmer. Spend it any other way. <laughs> uh, yeah, not only on Valentine's Day. I don't know if you uh, can hear this, dear listener, but I have a little tinge in my throat, so you might hear me popping some cough drops and some whiskey while this thing goes down. Uh, my voice is not at 100%. No, but it sounds so sixly hoarse. Wouldn't you agree, Robin? Oh, absolutely. Really? You Always. like it this way? I like it this way. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> hey, uh, welcome to the only podcast about movies. Today's movie is going to be... Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. And uh, just before we get started, I wanted to uh, just remind everyone, if this is the first time you're tuning in, please email us at the uh, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or on our Twitter handle at onlymoviepod. I might even say, if this is not your first time as well, you might want to do that. Also, hello, if this is the first time. Welcome. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Good good episode to join us on. Yes. This is... It's a good one. It's a good one. It's so a, far. It's a movie about movies. Yeah, we like those. Mm-hmm. Always my favorite. Um, so, Hail Caesar. Yes. Hail Caesar. Uh, the According to IMDb, a Hollywood fixer in the 1950s works to keep the studio stars in line, which is a very brief uh, description for what is a fairly long, convoluted plot line. Truth, but truth. it's also the latest film by the Coen brothers, Ethan Yay. and Joel. Are you guys fans? Yes. Yeah, I am. I am. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not like uh, whenever the movie does come at him, I was like, oh, come brother, I got to see it. You know? yeah, but yeah. this one I got, I, I was excited about only because when they said it's a Valentine, speaking of Valentine's days, to old Hollywood. Right. I personally love any movies about old, old Hollywood. Right. Okay. How about you, Matt? I mean, I just like their style in general. And actually, it's not like I go, um, I'm not like a super fan where I'll go out and hunt down every movie that they've done, but I'm always pleasantly surprised when another one comes out. So I'm like, oh, yeah, like I'll yeah. go see that. Um, I thought, I mean, overall, I mean, if we just want to get into sort of first impressions of this thing, um, I enjoyed it for the most part. I thought it was um, clever enough and fun enough, and I had a good time while I was in the I'm theater. sensing a lack of enthusiasm, though. That also <laughs> might be my my horsey voice. Um, I like no, your no, horsey voice. I, I dug it. Um I think, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but I think it works on a couple different levels, um, a couple of which I don't even know. (laughs) Uh, But I get that sense that there's more sort of going on than just like this cutesy story about old time Hollywood. Um, I think the actors in it are great. I think there were some interesting editing choices, which we'll talk about later Mm -hmm. um, from a story editing perspective. But yeah, I mean, I definitely dug it. What do you think, Shahir? Well, uh, I mean, just my preamble about every, you know, Coen, I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan, and uh, I was kind of worried about seeing this particular Coen Brothers movie because it's released in February, um, and and to me, the Coen Brothers breaks down, and this is entirely arbitrary, into three different categories of movies, and they are uh, the noir serious films that they do, mm-hmm. films like No Country for Old Men, Blood Simple, The Man Who Wasn't There, True Grit, and then they have this sort of step. Uh, and then, like, on the opposite end of the spectrum is their pure silliness films. Things like The Big Lebowski, Hudsucker Proxy, uh, Raising Arizona, Intolerable Cruelty. And in the middle, they have these kinds of, like, absurdist, serious films. You know, films that are kind of silly, but but have sort of a message or something going on under the surface. Films like A Serious Man, 
uh, Barton Fink, I think could kind of be in either the full, completely serious, but I think it's so, uh, John Goodman in that film is so crazy. And then Burn After Reading and The Lady Killers. And the thing that got me worried about seeing this film in particular is that it's being released in February, which is not like, it's kind of a wasteland for... Right. for well, hold on, for, hold on. Let's, <laughs> let's, with that, do you really think that February is truly the wasteland anymore? Well, I think for a Coen Brothers film, given that these guys have made, you know, best picture winners in the last five years, mm-hmm. you know, and have been nominated every year. I think for, for a film of theirs to be dumped in, well, to be placed in February kind of indicates something different. And then the last time this happened to them, well, it's probably happened since, you know, a couple of times since then, but was uh, Intolerable Cruelty okay. with George Clooney and yeah. Catherine Joe, which, which I think we'll all universally agree is, is, is pretty bad Coen brothers. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. not a bad, bad, bad movie, but it's not a great movie, and it's pretty bad for them. Yeah, fall, I would say their worst film. It falls into that whole like, is a Coen's brother movie just sort of better than most movies anyway? Sort yeah. of thing. I mean, granted, I, I don't think I'd ever watch it again. But yeah. I, I actually did watch, started watching it again, and it is it's amazing how like off key that film is. Mm. It, it kind of feels like just a misfire on all levels. I think I think with the, going back to the February thing though, mm. I think February is still like half wasteland, half like we have this experiment we want to run and see if yeah. it plays. And this is since there's not really a whole lot of other contenders going on uh, the, at, at the time, then it's easier to sort of get weird stuff through. I don't think this movie falls into that. Yeah. But um, I think February I like that February is kind of becoming like uh, trial and error. Did Mad Max come out in February or Mad Max came out like it was a little summertime. bit? Was was it, it, summer? summer? it was like the earliest summertime. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was pretty early, up. as I remember. Um, so with that in mind, th- those categories are kind of just my own arbitrary categories that I've kind of put out there. Um, but you also forgot kind of their nostalgic pieces l- like, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I mean, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou to me is, is a film that sits in there, uh, pure silliness films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, Oh Brother, you know, I, I enjoy that film, but I'd kind of like rank that alongside this, which is that I think this is a great movie and I really enjoy it. Um, and yeah, I think but I would lump that in with like their silliness for sure, yeah. as well as like their just like pay homage to you know Americana, right? You right. know, and this movie for sure, I feel falls into that category with paying homage to Hollywood. Yeah, and I think you know, like the 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 critical mass reviews that are kind of coming out are, are suggesting that this is a love letter to the studio system for one and old Hollywood. Um, so maybe and- that's why they chose February. Maybe, maybe, maybe it feels like, you know, like I think this is a fairly specific kind of film and it's, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to speak to a very broad audience. You know, no, this this movie talks to people that likes movies, but not just like going to the movies as escapism. Like they like people that like to learn and hear about the aspect of making movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, which in my mind is, and, and especially if you populate it with people like George Clooney, with Scarlett Johansson, you know, like uh, Channing Tatum, that might be a little bit misguiding for, you know, anyone just walking in off the street kind of kind of thing. But I do think, oh, yes. I mean, th- some of the roles in particular are misguiding depending <laughs> on how you read the advertising. But the <laughs> but I think that the fact they, they, they top loaded it with a bunch of names. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that in itself is kind of like sort of what they did more so they still do it now but like more so back in the day it would be like a so-and-so picture or whatever yeah. thing, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. so like yeah the, to top load this with all those people sort of in a meta way is kind of like doing what the movie talks about movies doing and it's fun that that each of the the actors that they've loaded into those films like the 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 the, the film goes through the studio system and then 
Uh, Josh Brolin, uh, Eddie Mannix is basically trying to like control all the craziness that's happening with his actors. Um, and also one of his actors has just been kidnapped, but that the kidnapping of, of, uh, George Clooney's, um, uh, Baird Whitlock is kind of just one of a series of plot lines that are happening concurrently. Yeah. There's, there's, there's kind of three, two and a half plot lines that are going on in this movie. And what's fun about them though, is I think that like. Casting Channing Tatum as, uh, I would see him as sort of in a Gene Kelly role, but I don't think it's quite Gene Kelly. It's it's someone else that I'm not not as familiar with. Um, is kind of a fun play with that actor. You know, George Clooney as uh, a, a, as a sort of uh, uh, a himbo actor. You know, like a, a male male pretty face who's mm-hmm. in a little bit over his head is kind of fun as well. Uh, Scarlett Johansson as the as the bombshell who. Um, has uh, is is a little bit more rough and tumble than than her characters suggest is kind of fun as well. So I think yeah. I think you know like all Coen Brothers films, they they have a huge stable of actors because these are all actors that they've well apart from Channing Tatum um, uh, are all actors that they've worked with before, um, and they can you know just sort of cycle them in. They probably have one of the biggest sort of library pools. of yeah, yeah pools of actors that they can draw from, and I never feel like they cast kind of frivolously as well. Like, I, I don't feel like they ever do frivolously? like... Frivolously? Yeah, I don't... I don't Like, <laughs> like for example, um, David O. Russell with Jennifer Lawrence right now, where he's just casting her in everything, you know? Like, I, or... Don't get or, started. It's always, you know, like, they always cast wisely, but Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. I think, I feel like the Coen brothers... You know they have this big stable of actors, and they and they circle around to the person who's best for the role. Sure, you know. And Channing Tatum just happens to fall into all those families now. Yeah, yeah, he's just, yeah. He, he's, he's doing work, man. He's he's making fucking moves. Yeah. And oh boy, does he move those hips? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, you know, my overall impression is that yeah, again, I I enjoyed this film a lot. I I laughed out loud, um, you know, many times, and it kind of tickled my my particular funny bone. But I was kind of like in the audience thinking I'm feeling like I might be the only person laughing. I, when I was watching it, I was definitely thinking this was your kind of movie. Yeah. Uh, but Robin, what did you think about the movie? Yeah, Robin, we haven't heard from you yet. So what, what are, you know, what was your thoughts? Um, I personally love this movie because it speaks very personally to myself. Um, I am born and raised in California, mm-hmm. uh, suburbs of LA. Right. Um, I, Under the banners of the studio. All of it. Yeah, basically. So my uh, grandfather was Harold Hedrick and his sister Zelma was Zelma Hedrick. Um, He and uh, their other sister, whose name escapes me at the moment, but uh, they all traveled from North Carolina Mm -hmm. uh, all the way to Los Angeles to make it in pictures. Oh, wow. And they all got contracts with MGM. Yeah. And uh, his name was changed to Michael Grayson. Okay. And his sister was changed to Catherine Grayson. Okay. Who wound up becoming a huge musical era uh, movie star. Uh, I was actually, one time I was walking down Hollywood and Vine and I found her star. Oh, wow. uh, Right outside the Trader Joe's right there on the corner. Ah, Trader Joe's. I was like, oh, (laughs) there she is. And that's that's your grandmother? That's my great aunt. It's your great aunt. Yes. These are some deep cuts. I, I, you know, like, I I like (laughs) to think that I know a lot about... Hollywood or old Hollywood, but I really don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had that with my, my uh, great grandmother. Uh, my grandmother's mother was a seamstress in mm. the studios. Oh, and wow. she made 
Vanessa Redgrave's uh, wedding dress in Camelot. Okay. And she did all the beadwork and everything. And um, I just have a whole family lineage of people working in the studio system in the era and actors and so singers. So Thanksgiving and- at your place is like, <laughs> is like a round table of like people all talking about what movies they've just worked on. No, not necessarily like that. It was, I mean, that's like a bygone era now. Yeah. But, um, you know, much like Hollywood or much like what this film depicts is like how, uh, how we try, how we we gloss over the crazy. Yeah, it's it's a lot like my family too. Like there's <laughs> there's a lot of crazy behind the curtain. Sure, in every family, to <laughs> yeah. be fair, right. there's a lot of crazy. Right, right. But uh, a lot of places where Hail Caesar was filmed um, is where I grew up. Yeah, you know, uh, where they actually filmed the movie Hail Caesar is in Simi Valley, California, which is the original or the one that's in this film. The one that's in this film, okay, is actually where I grew up. Yeah. And uh, the the big Western where Hobie was doing his old, like that's, that's right by where actually the last time I, Matt came home with me, I was Mm -hmm. showing him and that's right where we were, Matt. We drove through that area. I learned stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So the song where the moment where he's angry at the moon, the, when he plays that little song, that diddle. No, when he's doing all the, um, the the, the roping, all the, no, when he's riding the horse, doing all those tricks on the horse and everything like that's nearby where I grew up. So I, I, I recognized all these places. And so I get super excited when I see things that I'm familiar with and what I I know of. And uh, so it it was, it it very much spoke to me. Right. And it made me super nostalgic for just where I'm from. Old-timey Hollywood. yeah, Yeah. Which is even though I live here in New York now. Yeah. Yeah. But as a film on its own terms, like, you know, even, even not speaking directly to you, did you, you know, were you engaged by it? Did you enjoy it? I was very much engaged for... Did you laugh? Yes. <laughs> I, very much, I was very much engaged uh, for those reasons. Yeah. Uh, but for terms of... And when it comes to down to the storytelling part of it, you mm. know, I feel like it, it, um, it trailed sometimes. Yeah. But uh, overall, I still, as a comedy, and like they're silly... Yeah, sort of the little, silly Coen brothers. Yeah. yeah. Um, I felt that they succeeded in what I think they set out to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that the, the scene that we started this episode with, uh, uh, with, would that it were so, twere so simple. Yep. I, I, I think that was just a, that was that, super fun. That was, that's an exercise in comedic genius. Right. You know, that scene isolated. And I think that, you know, I, I try to avoid trailers. I went back and watched the trailer and the trailer is literally just that scene. Um, oh, really? Yeah, they oh, really? just pl- they played that scene out, um, and it's it 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 it's possibly one of the best Coen Brothers scene in a pretty good Coen Brothers film. Not necessarily my favorite Coen Brothers film, but a pretty pretty great one. Yeah. Um, is how we'd get, is how I would describe it. But do you want do you guys want to get into spoilers? Do you yes. want to get into the meat? There's there's a big elephant in the room question mark around this film that that I think we're we're going to get into in three, <laughs> two. One. Why you gotta be so dramatic? Spoilers. We, <laughs> hey, we need a button. <laughs> That's what it's gonna sound like. Um. Yeah. So this story is like we said in the beginning, sort of the it's like two and a half stories, sort of. But Eddie Maddox, who is played by Josh Brolin, is the head of uh, Capital Pictures. Yeah, Capital, Capital Pictures. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and they appropriately are, titled Capital Pictures. Right. Yeah. Um. 
So he is basically the man that makes sure that everything sort of happens. He wrangles his talent. He makes sure things are going on time. He's sort of like the fix-it man for this giant industrial thing of just making sort of what what even the movie calls at one point sort of like Hollywood schlock, like this feel-goody, no real point, but like real sort of fun and like, you know, the going going to see the pictures, like very, very innocent sort of films. But he's also, he's, which is true, but he's also in charge of dealing with Hollywood egos. Yes, and he, well, that's and what I meant. Yeah, and he kind of has to like deal with like, any ordinary businessman wouldn't have to deal with like an employee getting pregnant and right. trying to find so out what to do like, with it. Babe. Like, oh, that's what I was referencing. He's a fixer. So yeah. he goes into situations and he has to deal with the talent. He has to deal with negotiations. He has to deal with everything in these weird sort of situations. He has to make sure everything runs smoothly. Yeah. Uh, and there's a subplot in this movie about uh, Lockheed trying, yeah, to, Lockheed. trying to hire him away from the studio thing. And it's, and it's kind of like he's torn back and forth. Like, yeah, my life is crazy and my hours are shit, but do I actually love this enough to stay working in pictures? Right. Or do I want to take the cushy job where I can retire after 10 years and be, be with my family. And, and Lockheed kind of always make the point to him is like, you'll be building real things. This is real yes, work. Yes. You know, like what you do in Hollywood, <laughs> it's fun, it's cute, but this is real yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> so he has to deal with all these wacky characters. And something that really struck me was, uh, and Josh Brolin's great in the film and I, and I liked the character, but I was always, in the back of my head, I was thinking like, man, if this was a real sort of thing that happened. And, and, and it was. In, yeah, Eddie Mannix is based on a real character, yeah, a real um, person. Yeah. But apparently the real person is not as nice and as wholesome and as every Joe everybody sort of as this person is. So what struck mm. me was that since he was like so like, ah, oh, well, I'll just fix everything and I'm mm. the hardworking sort of, he struck me as like the quintessential hardworking American man. Well, he like, does. I mean, he opens the film with slapping around one of his, one of his female co-star, uh, female stars, right. you know. But the, the, he just sort of strikes me as this like, I don't know. Like he he struck me as too average Joe to yeah. be to be in charge of this giant thing. Uh, and I guess uh, I guess the same character. And I'm I'm not familiar with it, but the movie Hollywoodland. Oh, the one with Ben Affleck. Yeah. I, yeah. Um. Apparently, the same character is portrayed in that movie. Oh, really? By, um. By a different guy, but under a different name. I huh. wrote it down. Somewhere. I haven't seen Hollywoodland. But um, that's the one where Ben Affleck plays Superman. Oh, right? Bob, yeah. Bob Hoskins. Oh, okay. Uh, it plays a more true to the true to the real life version of this guy who's kind of a dick. Oh, and his name would have been Eddie, just like it was in Roger Rabbit too. Please, Eddie. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, there you go. <laughs> conspiracy. <laughs> um. Anyway, so that kind of struck me. It was just very strange. But then I realized as the movie sort of went on, even the despicable characters are likable. Very. In this movie, so like it bothered me less and less as it went. Yeah. There's a if you. I think if you break, if you start breaking down this film and thinking about what it's actually saying, it's a, it becomes a kind of murky film to, to, to get into because on the one hand, it's showing the, the frivolous, frivolity and the, the kind of emptiness of Hollywood. But on the other hand, it's kind of a love letter to Hollywood as well. And, and, you know, like there's an interesting plot point that happens, which is that Baird Whitlock played by George Clooney gets kidnapped. It's kind of the, the, the The catalyst for the whole film. And he gets kidnapped by uh, a group of uh, Hollywood screenwriters who are, who are very um, openly communist. Um, And they're fighting you know, they're, they're basically rallying against the, the, the way in which the studios organize itself as a capitalist or, yeah, industry that, that doesn't, that doesn't support their work. Um, and you know, like, if, you know, like the fact that the, the studio is called capital pitches and then that they're, yeah. you know, this communist, um, 
um, group of writers, which is, you know, like interesting into itself, given we're in an election year. Um, and, um, but then, but then at the same time, the ending, which I think is the thing we're all going to get into is kind of a pleasant ending for the studio or, you know, kind of a like, you know, studios, a okay, you know, like, which is weird because it, it you know, like they, it, it seems, I, I don't know how much the Cone brothers can can take a dig at studios, you know, given that they've made so many films under mm-hmm. studios, you know, like it, it seems it seems conflicting to me. I don't know. How did you how did you guys feel? I mean, like, how did you negotiate this kind of like the f- philosophical ideas that were going on in, underneath the comedy? Yeah, I feel like it really conflicted a mm. lot. Like, yeah. um, the, I think the ending was a, a very Hollywood ending. Yeah, like it ends how every Hollywood movie should end. Yeah. But. It, if it, if you're really going to dive into the studio system and and make digs at it, then go all the way, right? You know, and but if you're kind of like the player or something like that, yeah, yeah, exactly. But so that's where I feel like it really strayed, right? It to me it was the I guess the thing that was interesting and the reason why I'm kind of like this might be my version of a Marvel film where I can forgive its flaws. Um, Ooh, you know, <laughs> maybe. Um, is that, is that the ending to, you know, like there's a, there's another through line through this film, which is about religion and, and, you know, in the way in which, um, theology plays a role in everyone's lives. You know, at one point they bring in a rabbi, a priest and a clergyman. Great scene. Great, great scene. Let me set that up real quick. So basically what happens is they bring in all three of these religious men. Four. uh, Four, sorry. Uh, into a room with, uh, Eddie Maddox to Mm -hmm. discuss the, uh, the character characterization of Jesus Christ in their newest picture, Hail Caesar, which is yeah. about uh, George Clooney's actor character playing uh, a centurion who finds Christ and sees him, and it's a whole whole thing of a role. Yeah. So they want to make sure that no one's going to be offended in any any of the quote major religions in America at that yeah. point um, uh, of the portrayal of Jesus Christ. And and everyone is conflicted. Like nobody in that room can actually even agree on what yeah. Jesus Christ. Is was sounds let alone excellent. what they should look like. Yeah, what they should look like. So, <laughs> and then you know, like Eddie Maddox is continually um, visiting um, a priest at, uh, for confession. Um, you know, and it's been <laughs> the movie starts with him like, when, you know, how long has it been since your last confession? You know, twenty seven hours, um, and he's basically confessing against uh, the fact that he's been smoking too many cigarettes. Um, but but the thing that I found interesting, and and maybe that spoke to me directly is that uh, from a religious, and we got into this with Spotlight as well, I'm not a religious person at all, but I was trying to think of like, what are my most religious experiences? And, you know, like experiences that really touched my soul kind of thing. And they all come from the movies, you know, like, uh, and it's funny because like one of my favorite, I don't know what it is, but one of my favorite things to do is to watch a movie on a Sunday morning. And I feel like I'm more emotionally receptive (laughs) to like what's happening in a movie if I watch it on a Sunday morning. You're going to church. And it's exactly right. That's hilarious. Me going to church is watching a movie on a Sunday morning. It's your sanctuary. It's my sanctuary. So when the film ends with a kind of escalating, you know, like ascending shot above the studios. And we see the the classic uh, Warner Brothers uh, water tower in the distance. And the the wording on it says, behold. And and then we kind of flash off into the sky in a sort of celestial light directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Right. Uh, and and as, as much as I think that is a oddly problematic moment in the film, it kind of worked for me because it... 
it affirmed you know my you know what i love about films and 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 i think what what itty manix was kind of trying to get at by the end of the film which is that it's not real work but it's the work we love yeah and i think that really was portrayed when he what was it in the middle of the night went on set uh, to the three crosses yeah and he just stood there and uh i think this memory where he found his refuge and real his realization yeah but it's weird because i don't know if he likes movies like, I, I wasn't sure if I got the impression that Eddie Maddox himself, you know, like, he didn't seem like the kind of guy that actually mm. watches a lot of movies. He just seems like the guy who knows how to, like, get things done. The character was more concerned about about his people. Yeah. The character was more concerned about making sure the the the, the studio as a business and its employees were taken care of. Well, yeah. no, I mean, you saw him watching dailies. Sure. In, like, what, two scenes? Yeah. I mean, I think he thoroughly cared about... I I, just, I I read it more of as he cared about the he cared about his company's product. Yeah, I I never I don't think he I'm not sure. Yeah, if he if he actually like loved the movies itself, he was just a great sort of uh, executive in any sense that sort of wanted everything to run as smoothly as possible so that that everyone could keep doing the best work that they were doing. Because he loves actually working in the movies. That's what, I, that's I, think, I, I think he loves working in the movies, but yeah, like the, the way, you know, and to me, the one of the most telling scenes is when he's talking to Scarlett Johansson's character. Right. Uh, and he kind of just refers to the movies that they're making as good money earners for the, for the mm-hmm. studio. You know, like he's pre- pretty dismissive of what they actually are. Um, so I kind yeah, I think I read it the same way, which is that he was, he was, he, it was what, Rather than enjoying what he was watching, he was more doing QC, you know, quality control over over what was being produced that day. Because I don't remember, and I don't know if there was a scene or not of this. Maybe there was, Robin, if there was, correct me. But the um, whenever they're talking about Hail Caesar, he doesn't go on to talk about it like he actually loves it. He just brings up the fact that it's like it's the biggest one and it's going to be great. He gives a lot of lines towards like, oh, it's going to be wonderful. It's mm-hmm. But it all feels very like businessman pitchy to me. And again, I'm not saying he dislikes anything he's making. I think he believes in the product, but I think he thinks of it more of a product that uh, more of a product and less of the way sort of Shahir even talked about seeing movies as sort of like a religious or an important experience. He's like, this is escapism. My product is escapism. I want to make sure I deliver the best escapism as possible. Um, I don't know if I, cause I never had that moment of when he would like watch something or be looking at something or be around and just be like, it was always about the misty eyed or yelling. Yeah. Yeah. He only ever got misty eyed when he, and it only happened like, I wouldn't even say misty eyed, but like seemed like he really enjoyed himself when he was solving the problems of the people he was working with. Like Mm. it seemed like he got joy out of fixing, fixing and, and, and wrangling these cats that these were these crazy actors. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a reason why, I mean, we all work in the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. and we all kind of found our niche or what we'd like to do in it. And there's many different avenues, you know, like he might've gotten into it. I mean, who knows? He might've yeah. gotten into it initially just for the, because he likes movies. And then yeah. he found out what he's actually good at and mm-hmm. what he wants to do. Yeah. I mean, I could be speaking too deep into it or maybe thinking too deeply about it, but no, yeah. I, I think that's true for anyone who gets into the business. Like the thing that I'm always surprised by when I, you know, because to me, um, like loving the movies is such an important part of the reason why I do the things I do. But then I meet a lot of people who are in the same business who don't love the movies or, yeah. you know, don't no. watch, don't watch a lot of movies or don't talk about, you know, like, no. and, and that always strikes me a lot. But then I, you know, I have to like check myself a little bit and realize that everyone has different capacities or different abilities that don't necessarily like that, are that are perfectly suited to this business, yeah. but aren't necessarily about loving the movies. Mm-hmm. They're just good organizers. They're good managers. They're good technicians. They're good, you know, not necessarily creatives, but you know, like, and I feel that's what Eddie Maddox's 
you know, role is in this is that he's not, you know, I, I think he's, I feel like, it, and there's nothing to suggest this in the film, that he's neither here nor there about uh, Hail Caesar doing yeah. well as much as, you know, one of his, uh, what is it, the the actress's name that, that Scarlett Johansson's character is kind Esther of- Esther Williams? Esther Williams, yes. yeah, yeah. It's supposed I, to be who she was. Or is that who she was after? or who she was kind of modeled on? She's supposed to be modeled after Esther Williams, which is interesting too because Deanna Moran was her name in the movie. Right. Yeah, in just you know the just just those scenes and else like that was very much a Busby Berkeley. Yeah, I was thinking of Busby Busby right. Berkeley, but then and that's way <laughs> beyond that, that's that's not 1950s. That's, that's much much earlier. Yeah, and it's weird because I was I've I've actually just been watching a lot of Busby Berkeley for a project that I'm working on, and and Busby Berkeley. If, if anyone hasn't seen a Busby Berkeley musical, you know, choreographed musical, they are, they would blow your mind They're today. Amazing. And, and the thing was when I saw, you know, like when I saw that overhead shot, I was like, oh, cool. The Coen yeah. brothers are doing Busby Berkeley right yeah. now. And then it was kind of like not as cool and not as like yes. choreographed. No. But then I think that's more of a reference to Esther William musicals, which are slightly more run-of-the-mill kind of synchronized swimming. Yeah, I was going to say, one of my only critiques of this movie that, that threw me out of the experience whenever mm. it happened was whenever they used CG to do something in mm. this movie, it really threw me off. And I don't know if it was just the style in which they were trying to do it or whatever, but like that scene where Scarlett Johansson is doing mm. the basically water choreography thing they're shooting that movie. Yeah. When like the water spurts up and then like she comes up out yeah. of the thing and like all that stuff, like that was all, like a lot of that was CG'd. Yeah. And I was like, I was thinking to myself the entire time, like, why don't they just do it? Yeah. Given that Busby Berkeley could do it so long ago. Yeah, like, why not just do it? Like, and, and maybe there's contractual things. Maybe ScarJo didn't want to get into a giant tank forever. And maybe, but I, I don't know. Like, it just, Who knows? It, that felt to me like after everything was like, oh, I'm transported into this magical world of old time Hollywood. And then that hits. And I was like, oh. And it, I guess maybe the thing is, is that it doesn't feel like old time Hollywood as much as it feels like old time B movie Hollywood, you know, like not well, that's the, the studio system too. Yeah. Like maybe that's the whole point of it. It's just like so many movies are being cranked out during that era. It's just, mm. it almost becomes like a, it's, it's just a machine and that's yeah. all it becomes to him. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, you know what I, the other, the thing that I, I did genuinely enjoy was the fact that you got to see the Coen brothers kind of riffing on so many different genres yeah. of studio filmmaking and stuff and, and, and genres that they've themselves have actually played in, in a modern context, you know, so for example, um, the character, uh, what is his name? Hobie? Hobie Doyle. Hobie Doyle's character. Played by Alden, Aldrin. Er Aaron, Aaron, Aaron who, by the way, just walks away oh, with this the movie. Show. He's the best. He's, he's completely, the he's going to be a huge star yeah. off the back of this movie. It was so good. He is, he is. If he basically plays, he plays a cowboy, like a Western actor that's just mainly there because he's an actual cowboy <laughs> and can do all the tricks and the lasso and the hoops and the shooting and everything. <laughs> and then, some mandate they want him to move him up. They want to change his brand. Yeah. And so they're going to put him in a very high end sort of, um, what, what would you call that sort of piece? Um, I don't know. It's not a Preston Stooges film, but kind of like, a uh, like a pride and prejudice sort of like, yeah, something like, along those lines, like a very, um, hoity toity sort of <laughs> film. They want to make him into a leading romantic man. Yeah. And the, the act thing that Sheer and I did is a part of the movie in the beginning. Uh, is part of the thing where the director, who was played by Ray Fiennes, Ray Fiennes. Oh, Lawrence, so Lawrence Lawrence, yeah, um, Lawrence, yeah, yeah. 
they're, they're working together, and obviously, Laurence doesn't want anything to do with Hobie at all. Well, because Hobie's terrible in this context, yeah. but he is. But his the actor who the meta commentary the the actor that plays him in this film is so versatile. Alan Alden Unrich, mm-hmm. you know, and like he can jump. He ba- he he gets tasked with the most to do in this movie. Oh yeah, right. And he is so good. And he can play a bad actor so well. Oh, oh yeah, it was yeah, wonderful. But I guess you know what was fun was that you know the guys who did True Grit, you know the the remake of True Grit, are kind of doing like a uh, a hokey studio western in this film as well. Yes. And you know, the angry to the moon. What was he angry at the moon? Lazy old moon. The lazy, lazy old, old moon. moon. Oh, it was so good. So you know, good. like and it was like I could just kind of imagine them. I could imagine every single one of those mo- little vignettes that they where they show like a studio film. The Coen brothers doing an entire film right. like that. And right. even beyond that, I'll take Hobie Doyle. I, if this movie was all about Hobie Doyle's tra- like journey from yeah. being a cowboy actor to being a like a leading man, yeah. I would have eaten that if like if that like, if that was the whole thing. And they because like, I loved what you keep bringing up when he was doing the lasso tricks, waiting for his like basically yeah. his assigned date, who was another actress. Yeah, yeah. He's seen at a premiere with. Um, and then even their date was really cute. And yeah. I know like he noticed certain things happen and moved the plot along that way. But like I could have watched you could have watched him. You could have written the whole thing about him and I would have been like, all right. I, in fact, I, I wonder if that would have made a more universal experience if, sure. if that if, if that was the case. Because I think it would have because it would have been sort of even though he would have been a Hollywood actor, he still would have kind of played the everyman, whereas mm-hmm. um Josh Brolin's character, while he was in personality, sort of the very everyman, at the end of the day, it's a story about a boss trying to control his company. Right. Yeah. Trying to make sure his company's doing well. So and, like And then and then one of the interesting things that's happened, and this is kind of in in the realm of Cohen Brothers territory as well, is that he comes to the realization, you know, Josh Brolin's character, Eddie Mannix, comes to the realization that he can't some things will just work themselves sure. out. He even says that line when he's talking about his daughter's uh Oh, his son's baseball game, oh, right. and the and the and that's actually what happens in the film, which is that he has he doesn't he kind of like takes a step back and things just work out without well, his yeah. influence. Because the main thing, and I feel like we haven't even talked about it much at all, is George Clooney's character mm. gets kidnapped off the set of Hail Caesar yeah. by communists mm. and mm. is brought to this like mansion mm. to sort of like kind of hold him ransom, I guess. And, yeah, and but in like, the in the most fun possible way with cucumber sandwiches. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Know? these were very nice, nice communists. <laughs> yeah. and uh, George Clooney's character is a. Like, basically sort of like a leading man, but kind of a, a doof. Not really, not a doof. Not a doof, but, like, but easily manipulable. Sure. Manipulatable. Manipulated. Yeah, Ha-ha. sure. Yeah, past um, <laughs> uh, He, and, and I really did like George Clooney's portrayal of this sort of dude. Like, it was very, very fun. Uh, yeah, he commonly plays kind of the doofus in Coen yeah. Brother movies. You know, you this know, is oh, brother, third, where yeah. yeah. He I, he makes a good doofus. Yeah, you know, like he's, he's a, he has a lot of fun as a doofus. Oh, side note: the two Romans actors extras that kidnap him. Hello, one is Newman. One is Newman <laughs> Wayne Knight. The other one, I got to give a shout out to my man Vork. Uh, he is his his name's not actually Vork. He played Vork in um the Guild Felicia Day's um Warcraft uh, oh, okay. series that she sort of did online. But I was huh. I love to see him get work. He he's a he's fucking great and hilarious and everything. There was, another one of the communist writers was was the, uh, like I didn't I didn't know who he was. I didn't recognize him immediately. But when I saw him, I, he was the in Mulholland Drive. He was the guy describing the nightmare to to another character. Oh. And then he was like in this movie. He's like the same. He looks exactly the same, but he's all got gray hair. And I was like, Jesus, Mulholland Drive was like fifteen years ago, yeah. and it's the same guy. Uh, and yeah, it was cool. Um, it's. I mean, how did you how did you feel about the communist kind of 
storyline. Side uh, note, Jeff Lewis is the guy who played Vork, who played across Wayne Knight. <laughs> I just love him. He's so fucking funny in everything he does, so Thank I'm you, glad. Yeah. Um, I mean, for, if we're going to talk about more spoiler alerts, so like when... Uh, Funny story. So, like my 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 grandfather was in the studio system. He right. was actually really good friends with Ronald Reagan. Right. Oh. And uh, cool. so one day, Mr. Reagan uh, goes to my grandfather, and this is all word of mouth. Like my grandfather passed before I was born, and my mother told me the story. Right. But uh, Ronald Reagan turned to my grandfather. He's like, "Hey, do you want to go to this meeting with me tonight?" Oh. And Reagan and, and Reagan flirted with communism. And <laughs> it was a meeting with communist ties. And I, think, so my, I think we've got an exclusive here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think. <laughs> and so I, apparently my grandfather turned and was like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, what's going on? Like, this is during the studio era. You know, yeah. this is not, this is a big no-no. Yeah. And he was just like, oh. Apparently he's, he's appeared clueless to it. He's just like, oh, I didn't know. I just thought it'd be interesting. You know, something, right. like, something like that. Yeah. And I don't know anything that happened beyond that, but my mom just told me that one day. I was like, what? Why that is given given the current political elections where every where every Republican is touting Reagan as like the, yeah this uh, is before Nancy this yeah. was way before Nancy right 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 <laughs> but that that part of the movie really threw me off because I just don't I, I didn't care much for this kidnapping mm. I wanted to every time Hobie was on yeah. screen I wanted yeah. to know more about that like like you said Matt uh, I think that if you saw him transition from spaghetti westerns to mm. leading man I think that would have been totally different movie but better, but, but really interesting really like yeah. It, yeah yeah and maybe more like falls into the pitfalls of like Hollywood I think that would have been a more interesting story to follow but when it comes to this whole communism thing I just Anytime I, uh, that came on screen, I kind of tuned out or I just right. wasn't as interested. Right. So, because so, the thing that's, uh, you know, we, we talked about, uh, when we did Sicario earlier this year, we talked a little bit about Sicario in comparison to No Country for Old Men. And this is going uh, a little bit of a deep cut for the only podcast about movies. But um, I think the thing was, is that we, you know, like Steve and I were talking about the fact that how, how is it the Coen brothers could do a film like No Country where the main character gets completely sidetracked for another character and Sicario can't quite pull it off. And it's the same. There's something in this film as well, which is that the Coen brothers could write a film where the most interesting character is not the lead character and a whole plot point comes across that almost is coincidental to the film and resolves with almost without any incidents, you know, any influence by the main characters. And I still found it pretty compelling and pretty interesting. You know, like I, I think they just have a, they have the, um, the ability to spot the lightning rod, you know, like to spot in every scene, what is the most interesting thing and how can I write this in the most interesting way um, to me like that. So, so while I agree that like on a, on a purely narrative level, those scenes were probably the least interesting. Yeah. I still found them pretty compelling and I still was like, Oh, where is this going to go? And when they did resolve, I was still kind of satisfied by the way they resolved. I did enjoy the resolution just yeah. because it, it just Channing Tatum on a submarine. Yeah. Kind of did it, for you. It, it just made it. Well, I mean, it just like, uh, contributed more to the silliness of it all. Yeah. You know, right. just the ridiculous, the, the, the dog jumping in his arms and they lose so, all the money. Yeah. And even before that, uh, basically what, what occurs is the communists now have George Clooney and they're asking for so much money. And just didn't seem like a lot of money to me, by no, the way, back then, <laughs> it was like a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. I was like, and, and like even the studio, he had kind of like a, can you give me a hundred thousand dollars in, uh, in petty cash? And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> 
Um, so he gets it, and the briefcase is too small. That's always a joke. So it's wrapped up with the belt, and he has to deliver it and leave it behind a thing in a studio, uh, in a studio block, like studio whatever, where we whatever. see, yeah, where we see Channing Tatum do his dance, uh, which better you, than Magic Mike. Yeah, <laughs> he, he does better than Magic Mike this time around. I was like, I was like, I, I was uh, uh, annoyed that Chevalier didn't come see it. I was like, she, I think she would have found this more arousing. No dames, <laughs> no dames. Totally yeah. not homoerotic in any way, shape, or form. No dames. Uh, but it was very good song and dance number. Uh, Channing Tatum's proving himself to be the 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 man when it comes to any sort of mm. dance slash comedy <laughs> slash. I think he's really the John anything. Travolta of our era, and that's very true. Yeah. And mm. uh, he eventually, t- you find out later, thanks to finding out, uh, Hobie actually sees the briefcase. He recognizes it because he mm. saw it in Josh Brolin's office. Uh, Channing Tatum is at dinner right after the movie premiere of Hobie's movie. He sees the briefcase. He puts two and two together, and Hobie trails Channing Tatum mm. back to the communist layer where he mm. rescues. Um, Kind of rescues. Yeah, it, it's um, sort of it's it's very George low Clooney. momentum kind of scene. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, Channing Tatum, as the communist leader, gets uh, onto a boat and has a very George Washington moment across uh, the water <laughs> with the dog. And the submarine comes up and takes him away. And that's where Robin was saying the money gets dropped and right. the dog gets saved and all that jazz. Um, and all that jazz. Now, it was all super cool, and I liked it and I enjoyed it. And I think there's something to be said about the Coen Brothers that they could have a movie where there's just like a lot of happenstance to mm. it, but I still don't care. Like, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is fun enough where I'm not, I'm not going to tear this thing apart. Like I, it also, it also feels purposeful. Like I feel very. like it's like telling the story that they want to tell. Sure. It never feels like they're kind of not, it, it never feels like they don't know what they're doing. It's never a thing of convenience. It yeah. never feels like they're like, Oh fuck, we need uh, yeah. this guy to come here like that. Yeah, that I totally agree with. And it's it has to do with their writing and directing style. Otherwise, I don't know how else I'd be able to sort of stomach it. But you yeah. do and you like it. Um, yeah, to what Matt was saying earlier, it's very purposeful. Like uh, I keep I keep talking about the lasso scene when he's waiting for his day to arrive. You know, it's just, that's a great scene. And it has nothing to do scene. with the film. No, no but, <laughs> you know, I think it's trying to say, you know, look at what the what how the system that was built back then and how it can attract those that kind of talent yeah. where who can do that nowadays where yeah. where you can where well, you can Channing Tatum living. can you know yeah, yeah. can sing his dance's way on, on onto a studio lot I'm sure which is <laughs> wonderful but like the, yeah. it, I don't I just don't think our system today can provide for that right and, and and this is an era when the independent film movement while was happening was not attracting audiences mm-hmm. um so so the studios were kind of like the only game in town yeah, yeah. um so it and, and it's interesting you know like i the thing the thing about that communist the the communist story is that it ties really well into this kind of meta critique of the the capitalist system that the that the studios operate under mm-hmm. and it and it it even though it kind of sort of just resolves itself without much incidents and kind of meanders around the point it left me thinking you know there's a lot of meat on them bones kind of thing it was yeah. a, there's a lot to chew on well that's something i want to talk about because like i said in the beginning mm-hmm. of this thing this movie can be enjoyed on a couple different levels mm-hmm. you can see it at all flash and and mm-hmm. you know sort of surface stuff and you have fun and then there seems to be a ton of undercurrent. Like when I left the movie, I thought to myself, I'm like, this movie is way deeper than I understand it. Right. And I still don't. Right. Like. I don't think a lot of people do. <laughs> uh, and I'm wondering if it was, if there actually is a true message behind all, especially the communism stuff and like mm. all this, like, and the religious overtones and all this stuff. Like, it's almost like 
if if the, if this movie was like a meal or like mm. a, a shepherd's pie or so, or any kind of pie, just something you put a lot <laughs> of ingredients into. This movie's a pie. Yeah. Um, like a stew. you, a <laughs> stew, perhaps um, you could, it's just very hard to, there's a ton of flavors mixed in and it, it, you need them all there to make the thing at, at the, the end yeah. result. But to, to pick them out is so difficult, at least for me, like, I watch a lot of movies and I think way too much about a lot of movies. And I thought a lot about this one and I still can't pick apart if there are what the specific undertones are. I know they're there. Yeah. Unless I'm crazy. (laughs) And I just, they made it this way to make people think that they should be something picked apart. (laughs) Well, I I think like the last few Coen brothers, like, and I think all of these films are masterpieces. It, I don't think Hail Caesar is kind of on the same level as yeah. Inside Llewyn Davis, mm-hmm. A Serious Man, and uh, True Grit is the most simplistic of the yes. of this of this last bunch. Uh, but but starting with the thing that I was always amazed by with No Country, um, it went it went uh, No Country for Old Men, A Serious Man, True Grit. Um, those three films were kind of all, all came out in a row and to me were all masterworks Mm -hmm. inside Lou and Davis followed them. Um, and the thing was, is, is immediately after no country for old men, I was like, I'm not sure I quite get what they're trying to say about Anton Chigurh and, and the role of fate and destiny in this film. But I really like what they did here right. and I really mm-hmm. am thinking about this a lot and I'm really trying to dissect this and the more I kind of watch that film I've seen it a couple of times since I kind of really find threads that I think are true but then but then also can pick apart anything I think um, it's the same with Inside Lewin Davis which has this Inside, uh, have you guys yes, have you seen, I've seen it? Yes. Yeah, you know the 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 end spoiler for Inside Lewin Davis ending, oh, no. um, the ending of Inside Lewin Davis Davis does this like really strange time jump that folds mm-hmm. back on itself. And I, and I still to this day, am not exactly sure what that does, Yeah, but I kind of have a feeling about it that, yeah. that, that works for me. And it's the same with this film, which is that again, you know, like I kind of have a, a response to the way the film ends with the, with the behold sign and, and the kind of, the wrapping up of the religious undertones to, you know, basically to me, the film is about um, communism versus capitalism as, as a, as a structure by which we live our lives. And, and, and the film basically posits the notion that capitalism doesn't work for everyone, but what Eddie Mannix basically comes to a conclusion at the end is that, yes, it doesn't work for everyone, but it actually works for everyone here. And it's the system we have. And it, 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 it can, you know, it supports us well. Um, so it's not perfect, but it supports us well. Now that's my reading of the film. I'm not necessarily saying that that is the reading of the film, right? but, but what I love about the Coen brothers movies and particularly all those films that we've, I've just mentioned is that they're, they're so, you know, like to use your stew analogy is that it's kind of like a potato in that stew. If you take it out, it's not that great, but a potato in that particular stew is the most delicious potato possible. Right. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so that's how, that's why this film kind of works for me, but I don't necessarily know if it will necessarily work for everyone. And it doesn't, it's not quite as thought provoking as a serious man or inside Lone Davis or. Was that, but do you think that it was Eddie Maddox's 
decision to make capitalism versus communism. And like, if that was the case, then he was the one that should have been kidnapped. I'm not necessarily sure that he was making the decision. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm saying that the film was coming to the conclusion that, that this is the system okay. that works for, for those characters, okay. you know, like <laughs> again, we're in an election year. So I, I kind of, you know, I watch the debates every night and, and the conversation that's going on right now, particularly on the democratic side is, is democratic socialism versus pure capitalism, yes. which is what's happening on the Republican side. And, and I think what's happening is that we're having this critique of the American political and economic system, which is that capitalism, pure capitalism is kind of not completely functional for everyone. Um, no, you know, and, <laughs> and, but, but at the same time, you know, I think any political realist would have to argue that there's no way that you could completely reverse the American p political and economic spectrum to be something more, so, you know, pure socialist. So it's kind of like, you know, like we're having this conversation about capitalism. And I think, and I think this film, if you were to suggest in any way that, it, you know, like it's, it's working on that level is making some kind of critique about the way in which capitalism operates. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm almost at a, at a loss for this. I feel like a lot of times I, I, when we're reviewing any movie, I have a really strong sort of like point of view and I'm really like, this is because of this, this, and this, I think this, that, and the other thing. And with this one, I wasn't left with sort of a, um, as strong of a conviction about any of my opinions, yeah. which is hard for me to a admit and like, cause I, I came into this review being like, what are my points? <laughs> yeah. Like, and I can tell you right now, one point I have is I think there was a little bit of a story editing problem with uh, Scarlett Johansson and Jonah Hill's character. Why the fuck is Jonah Hill on the poster? Is yeah. he on the poster? He's in, yeah. And he's, he's in on it for one scene. Yeah. Probably so, like a two minutes of screen time. I'm wondering, but I really enjoyed his two sure, minutes. No, yeah, yeah, it was great. But I'm wondering if like that sort of story, the scar joke, she's only in two scenes and yeah. he's in one of them. And I'm like, those scenes are completely arbitrary. They're enjoyable, but they're arbitrary. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of piling more shit onto Maddox's plate. Well, I, I, okay, no, sorry. So, so, I guess my, my point is, um, I didn't have other than sort of feeling like I wanted more. I kind of wondered why more, like we didn't have more of those characters. Like, I just didn't have a strong, like, I believe this is about this sort of thing. I just had moments where I was like, that's hilarious that the mm. woman who's editing the film got her <laughs> scarf caught in the yeah. machine. Frances McDormand yeah. plays an editor. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she's almost choked herself. Or I loved, um, <laughs> what's her name? The one who plays the twins. Um, Oh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton's yeah. twins. Uh, that yeah. was such a fun side or B or C story to the whole thing. They played gossip columnists yeah. that wanted to, like, get the stories. And Maddox promised Where eagles dare. Where <laughs> eagles dare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was supposed to be like his flop or something. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Oh, even... They were talking about how he got the role. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so it did. I just wish. I wish this movie left me with a stronger conviction. It left me le like I had a really great time, mm -hmm. but I I can't argue really one point or another. And maybe that's the point. I don't. I don't know. Like I just feel I. It's hard for me who who bases a lot of my persona personally and professionally <laughs> on having strong opinions. Wait, you're telling me it's a persona. This isn't the real you. This is, a, this is a, ooh, <laughs> the man behind the curtain. No, but like just, you know, in public who you are versus who you yeah, are in yeah. private, all that thing. Like I just, every part of me normally is based on having a really strong opinion about a thing. And yeah. I try to be well-versed and at least educated enough to formulate that opinion. This I'm like, I liked it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And on the high note, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, so it could be any of the things that we've talked about for me. I, I, I feel like I have the least to bring to this conversation. I'm very sorry. <laughs> no, but I think that's a, that's what you're saying is actually a really good point about the film, which is that, 
is that if you're not fully engaged, you can kind of, you know, like it's, it's kind of like the Simpsons in a way, you know, it's just like, you can watch it on that surface level. If you're really into it, there's a lot of layers to this right. film, yep. but it but it, it never like, it never feels wishy-washy to me. Like no. it feels like it feels purposeful and it, and it lifts me with enough to like continue the conversation. And these are, and what's great about the Coen brothers films is they, they're always repeatable. You know, like I, I always feel like, Oh, I could watch that again right now. If this now. came on HBO Go or anything yeah. like that, yeah. I would throw it on because it's really it's a good watch. Yeah. Like uh Yeah, I have nothing I have nothing bad to say. Well, I mean, okay, so for the Scarlett Johansson character, uh I mean, that was uh that was based on the actress Loretta Young and that whole scandal like actually happened. So right. I think the purpose of that was almost just a portray like what something that actually happened in yesteryear sure. you know like like i was saying like it's more stuff for maddox to deal with right right, right, right. but I, th- I think it's the resolution of that story ties directly into maddox's re- you know personal re- revelation in the film oh, true which is that which is that it just took care of itself because right. he yeah. took care of it he made it so it yeah. seemed like the the mm-hmm. lawyer played by jonah hill would adopt this baby and then she but it turns out that they back, fell in love but then they fell in love which, just like just like it just so happened that Hobie had seen the briefcase that then led yeah. him to go rescue George Clooney from the communists and then mm. come back and everything was fine. Yeah. Mm. I so is it, and, is it, and, and no, is I, it a Bob Marley song? Is that the the moral of the story that everything's gonna be all right? No, I think but I think though, like you can you watched it and enjoyed it, and that's fine. And now you're kind of seeing another reading of that and it kind of it's 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 enriching. It might not necessarily work for you, but yeah. it's you know, like there's lay there's there's layers to this onion that kind of you can peel back and enjoy you know like right. I, I feel there are many movies you can watch where the further you dig into them sure. the the hollower they become we're now putting onions in this pie stew <laughs> this stew is this pie stew this full val- of onions and potatoes valentine's day pie is pie, pie stew shepherd's potatoes. pie stew yeah, yeah. sounds disgusting we'll put the recipe <laughs> on the website yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing i really want to uh, I'm still trying. I'm still grappling with is uh, are the religious undertones and like what the Coen brothers are trying to say about religion in that era or their own personal grapples because they always have a lot of religious undertones. Yeah, in their films, they certainly like to deal with the notion of evil like very yeah. directly with Anton Chigurh, the uh, the bad guy from Oh, by the way, where art thou? Um, but this one didn't have too much evil in it anywhere, really. No, but it has. It, it, but I. But what what I mean by those things is that I think that they. They are, they aren't shy about injecting this idea of fate and destiny, uh, and and basically the 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 mechanisms by which the world turns into their films. And I think sure. and, and I think part of that comes through in their discussions about religion and evil, good and evil. Right. Um, you know, like uh, in Barton Fink, uh, John Goodman's character essentially becomes the devil towards the end of the film. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't remember his line and he's, as he's running. Oh, the, the life oh, of the, this is the life I, of the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, I'll show you the life of the mind. Yeah. I'll show you like, the uh, life of the mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I freaking love Batten Fink. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, like, but, I, but I, at the same time, I don't think that they're particularly devout religious people. They grew up Jewish. Right. They grew up Jewish, but, but they're, they're, they're religious philosophy in their film seems to be based on Catholicism in in my reading my very limited knowledge of Judaism right. um, it seems to be more well except for a film like A Serious Man which is very Jewish, very, very Jewish. Um, 
uh, everything that they seem to deal with is, you know, like, like even that, co- that round table where they have the rabbi, the priest, Love the, that scene. You, you know, like it feels like the Judaish, um, uh, perspective is not, is not as heavily referenced as, as a cathedral. I don't know. Maybe I feel like it's poking fun at Christianity in that way, because the, if you, if you think about it, the, the rabbi had the most barbs, you know, he was, he stole the scene. I love his line where it was like, well, what do you think about uh, uh, Jesus Christ in the movie? I think it's unrealistic that he would jump from chariot to chariot. Yeah. <laughs> you know? no, yeah, and I love the fact that the, the all these holy men are giving studio notes. notes yeah, exactly. Uh, also, the rabbi was played uh, by the doctor from Star Trek Voyager. Uh, what was his name? Oh, Robert Picardo. Love that guy too. Well, I think I think also, Robin, you wanted to kind of just finish up this this religious idea that's running through this film, right? I mean, I just um, I think my favorite scene. In this movie was when um, the I think it was like the the AD or the assistant director was walking around on set and it was the day of the crucifixion. Yeah. And you never see this actor. You never the see Jesus his face. Yeah, yeah. You never see the Jesus Todd. guy. But then he walks up and he goes, so are you an extra? Or are you an actor? And yeah. He goes, I don't know. And he goes, well, did you have a hot meal? Or did you have a cold meal? <laughs> you know, and then he 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 leaves. And then you're seeing George Clooney's massive speech and everyone is getting so emotional and I'm waiting for that, that moment. reveal, yeah. And I was I'm waiting for waiting that as well. I'm waiting for that cameo. I'm yeah. like, who's going to be God? Yeah. Who's going to be Jesus yeah. here? You know, and it, you never see him. Well, I think because they build it up as well in that way and then and then George Clooney fucks up the line. Yeah. And, yeah. and it kind of like, it, it's it's the way in which they kind of like tease you into the prisons, you know, like tease you to, to say that this is going to be a film about the presence of God or something like that, or the presence of the divine. And then it's like, ah, we don't know. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's just so funny how much in, in that way, it's just the movies themselves. You know, we're talking about community sanctuary, your religion, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's just a money machine. Oh yeah. And we're just, everyone's there just to make a buck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like the, the fusion between religion, capitalism, right. you know, and the way of life is kind of all mixed into the meld there. And that's, that's kind of where I got the in, you know, my feeling about the ending as right. well, you know, I don't meet you know, the new boss. Yeah. It's, same as the old boss. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any other final thoughts, Robin, before we moved on? Um, I mean, the more, you know, we've discussed it and everything, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, walking away. And the more I think about it, it's like, yeah, there were a lot of holes to poke, but it, it, when, when, if I'd watch it again, absolutely. You know, yeah. it, it's not one I'm going to seriously think about mm-hmm. uh, to come, but it's it's always going to be there. As some, you know, one of their their sillier films that I can just yeah. have in the background. Yeah, yeah, sure. Here, um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I will watch it again. Um, I was, I, I think it's 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 definitely slightly lesser Coen Brothers. You know, than the, compared to things like A Serious Man. Um, inside Lewin Davis, True Grit, uh, you know, it's not, and it's not even as silly as something like Raising Arizona or A Brother Where Art Thou. Um, but it's still, even Alyssa Coen Brothers films is still a pretty great meal, you know, in my (laughs) opinion. Uh, one curious thing is it's, it's an, I, and I think this worked is that even though it's shot by Roger Deakins, you know, the, one of the great cinematographers of our time. It it looks and feels very flat, but that kind of works with the studio kind of mm-hmm. um, uh, studio system films that it's kind of playing in. Mm-hmm. Um, I I thoroughly enjoyed this, and I yeah, and I will revisit this um, this film definitely one more time. 
yeah. least once more. And again, other than my tiny, tiny, tiny gripes of uh, of the the special effects, there's any CG sort of throwing me out yeah. and feeling like uh, ScarJo and Jonah Hill's sort of arc. I wouldn't even call it an arc. That was my 0.5% of pl- my, like my <laughs> 2.5 plots going on or whatever. Uh, other than wanting to see more of that, I think it's a super fun movie. I think anyone who likes movies and the act of making movies, or, or at least the idea of the act of making movies, <laughs> uh, will really enjoy it. Um, there's a lot to like. Every character has, most every character has a, has a wonderful moment. I mean, even speaking or no, like some of them just are these sort of silent, cool moments. Uh, <laughs> and there's you can dig deep if you want to, uh, or you can stay surface if you want to. And I really appreciate, uh, I appreciate the Coens giving us the option. Um, anyway, yeah, so this was the only podcast about Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. Before we finish up, Shahir, you wanted to touch on some emails. Yeah, we've just been receiving some emails, um, from a few readers, and I just wanted to, uh, shout out to James Allen, who I believe is the, the guy who won the movie tickets from us, so our, our first fan, Yay! and I still devoted fan. We we enjoy reading your emails, and this is going to go back into our spotlight review, Matt. Uh, oh, so good. I'm just going to read that. Uh, good, I'm I'm totally in fighting shape. <laughs> uh, just uh, not to bring up old wounds, but if anyone wants to go back, our spotlight review was fa- got fairly heated between Matt, myself, and Jarrah in it a was good my way. Favorite, really? It you was enjoyed- my absolute favorite. Yeah, I think I I enjoyed that debate a lot. Um, and. Me. Uh, James writes in, and I'm just going to enjoy this email a little bit more. Wow. I was pretty surprised to hear Matt and Gerard rip spotlight as they did. I found the movie pretty compelling and enjoyed the restrained style. Matt and Gerard seems to be calling for a movie fit, to fit more within a traditional Hollywood style with overt bad guys and more plot machination, plot machinations. But I think the part of the, uh, but I think part of the movie's point is the nuance of these situations and how terrible things can happen. Even, uh, when people aren't necessarily evil or bad and how easy it is to get caught up in the structures and forces of society. To me, that seems more truthful and insightful about real life. Maybe Matt and Gerard would say there wasn't enough of that in the movie, but that seemed to me uh, be prevalent at least in the subtext of much of the film. That being said, Matt and Gerard raised some interesting points and it made for a lively debate. Uh, I look forward to watching the movie again and reassessing that. And and I wanted to, this is Shahir talking now. Uh, I wanted to stress as well that Matt and Gerard's points actually made me rethink about that movie, uh, rewatching it as well. And I can't, I can't actually fault any of the logic of anything they said. It is if you're not into it, a dull film. Well, uh, I mean, I, uh, James, you said his name yeah. was right. James, uh, I think he every mm. what his what that email says to me. Mm. Is and again, again, mm. this is based off my opinion reacting mm. to the email with a head mm. full of phlegm because I'm very sick. So <laughs> please just take this as you will. It sounds James's email to me sounds like a very smart person's mm. wishful thinking being imprinted <laughs> onto a film. Wow. No, no, no it, that was like that was like a backhanded slap right no, no, there. No, no, James, listen. I listen. love you, James. No, but listen to me, listen to me. I, I, I do think if I think it feels like that's something that people if they're really like looking for it or they enjoy if if this is the speed of the type of movie that is your cup of tea like it seems like Shahir and James and people that really like this movie I think you can sort of do the like that's the natural sort of inference that it would go to with with someone who thinks headily and 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 I mean intellectually about film whereas uh I I I didn't see those things the 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 flaws that i brought up and we won't go into it again but like the flaws that i brought up of the movie overpowered it for me and uh it wasn't so much that i wanted a a bad guy 
uh, I know I went back and I listened to it and, and we did talk about that for a minute. Um, it just, it just didn't land for me. Uh, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad James, I'm glad James liked the, the podcast and, and I'm sorry if that, what I just said came off as a backhand thing. I, I didn't mean it to be. I think James a, write us back. Yeah. Write us back. Be like, fuck Matt, that piece of shit. Uh, no, I just, I think hey, everyone, I'm glad people like movies and I'm glad that we can argue about them. And I would happily <laughs> on another day start uh, arguing about spotlight again. I just, I, I, my brain is too dead right now, but thank you James for writing in. Um, yeah, and and uh, for anyone else uh, listening, please write us in uh, your thoughts on Hail Caesar or any film we've done so far um, at uh, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. We also have a Facebook page, which we check in on every now and again. Stop <laughs> saying we don't check the Facebook page here. You act like it's like this dead thing that we don't like ever go to. I look at it. I, I, I post on there. there we write go. stuff. Yeah. yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Robin, where can people find you? Uh, my Instagram, if you want to see pictures of my three-legged dog, yep. are uh, at Robin L. Foster, R-O-B-I-N-L-F-O-S-T-E-R. And uh, Twitter, I believe it's Foster Child R <laughs> underscore. Oh, wow, you scored big. You can sell that by that Twitter handle. Yep. <laughs> underscore 32. Oh, no. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Killed it. After the 31, other people. Foster Child R was already taken. Yep. Ah, damn it. All right. Very nice. Very nice. You hear? Uh, as always, you can see my work uh, and uh, get access to my Twitter and Facebook. Well, not get access, but you can. Yeah. You can. You can, uh, you can hack Shahir's Twitter. Listen, if you email us in, I'll give you access to my Twitter account for a day, and you can write my four hundred fans. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, but I, at, think, I think I'm going to write in <laughs> ShahirDowd.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D dot com. Uh, we've got a very exciting music video which will be launching in the next couple of months with robots. Nice. You can find me at uh, Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram, Emperor MSK on Twitter, or at www.mattheuwkrol.com for all of my life and works. Uh, guys, this has been the only podcast about Hail Caesar. Robin, thank you so much, darling, for thank coming you. on Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, My old-time Hollywood yeah. girlfriend. You just spent your uh, Valentine's Day with two dudes in a room. Yeah. How was it? Wouldn't spend it any other way. Aww. Aww.